All right, all right, all right. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you for joining. This is your boy. Let's dive in. So this is one of my favorite books of all time. I haven't read or actually dove deep into this book again since, you know, for like five years or so. Um, I first read it right out of college. So like when I got into the army, I started reading a lot of personal development books, self-help kind of stuff and things like that. And I, I came to realize that some of it, it's kind of funny, like the the almost like purely secular things to me sometimes are better than some of the Christian stuff because the Christian stuff can have some really wonky theology. As where I think some of the secular things are just based on like this desire for human optimization, which I think is a really good thing. It can lend itself some of the wisdom there, some of the knowledge, some of the approaches to life can lend themselves to holiness, can lend themselves to a life of excellence. And so this this book really hit me hard. Now, understand at this point in my life, I was really just focused on the first four pillars. So if you remember the four pillars of excellence, uh, the seven pillars of excellence, the first four, mental, emotional, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, I was really just focused on those. And this book was coming coming at a time in my life where I was really trying to be well-rounded, where I was really trying to grow in this. Soon I'd understand the importance of the professional and financial, and a few years later kind of add on the social pillar there. Now, if you get to the beginning of this book, um, The Seven Habits and Overview, it starts with one of my favorite quotes and kind of the the cornerstone of seeking excellence. This quote from Aristotle that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And so I tie this in with uh, the scripture reading, I believe is from Colossians. I'm not exactly positive. That basically says, whatever you do, do with all your heart as if as as, as to serve the Lord, not to serve man. Right? This idea of whatever we do, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So it's not just applying our, our all in, you know, going back to my podcast on giving 100%, 100% of the time. It's not, life is not just about excelling at work or excelling in the uh, physical fitness and your health. It's not just about excelling in your spiritual life. We're called to excel in all of these things and to be as, as best and fulfill our potential as best we can in all these different areas of life. And so Seven Habits was really important for me and really helped me to understand this. Now, Stephen Covey is the author of this book, and he says that under this section here, Habits Defined, he says, for our purposes, we will define a habit as the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. So basically, I've wanted to do episodes like this for a really long time, um, sharing some of my lessons learned. I'm going to apply it, obviously, take a lot of this knowledge and, and the insights here from this book and apply it to um, you know the spiritual life, to the life of excellence, to the, to the Catholic approach to living. And so just understand that kind of for context. And I've wanted to go through these because I just, I've read so many great books. And I think that by and large, this is kind of a, not a disclaimer, but just kind of setting the, uh, setting up some framework here. I think by and large, a lot of Catholics, what I've learned is that a lot of Catholics shy away from self-help books. Because they they think that all of it is secular and going to draw you away from the church. I think that well-formed Catholics, even decently formed, I'm not saying well-formed like you have to have a theology degree, but decently formed Catholics who feel like they're going to be Catholic for their whole life, right? And and know the faith, know what sin is, and, and know what isn't sin, should read books like this. Because I think books like Atomic Habits, like this, like 12 Rules for Life, are super, super helpful. And 
contain a lot of wisdom and insight that help us. And a lot of the, the wisdom and insight comes from a lot of saints, honestly, and saints have been doing this for a long time, but it's kind of repackaged in a way that is applicable to daily life, which is what I strive to do at Seeking Excellence, which is why I wanted to do episodes like this where I review books for so long, because I'm like, this is what it's all about, is taking wisdom, faith, and reason, applying it to everyday life, and seeing how we can really fulfill our potential. So again, he says the, that habits are the intersection of knowledge, skills, and desire. He said, knowledge is about what to and why to, skills are how to, and desire is want to. And so I think all of those are really important. And think about that just, just in and of itself as the spiritual life. Knowledge and knowing what to do and why we do it. Skills are knowing how to do it. And then desire is actually wanting to do it. Now, many times we find ourselves lacking in one of these. And you can or the four signs of a dynamic Catholic from Matthew Kelly of the importance of prayer, study, generosity, evangelization, right? We have to know how to do these things. We have to actually know things, the study, but then this desire, actually wanting to do it. I think a lot of that should come from prayer as we're formed and developed by God in prayer. And then we're going to start to develop this, this desire for souls, this desire to be better, this desire to change the ways we're living our lives so we can better fulfill our roles here on earth. And so one thing that I've always really enjoyed is he calls this the maturity continuum. And the maturity continuum is basically this graduation from dependence to independence to interdependence. And he says that this is basically how we're supposed to live as members of society. That when you're first born, obviously you're dependent. And you're dependent on your parents. You're dependent on um, school, like caregivers, right? You have a lot of people you're dependent on when you're just born. and. I think that it's super important for us to understand that we're not supposed to be dependent forever, right? The The thing is, the, the government would love for us to do that. The government would love for us to um, just be dependent on them, for us to be dependent on other people always. And that's not what we're meant to be. We're not meant to just be dependent. We're meant to produce and to contribute and to be active members of society. And so then we move on to independence. And so independence is where you start to be somewhat self-sufficient, right? And so as you start to be self-sufficient, you start to grow in virtue. You start to grow in your ability to provide for yourself, uh, to, to live in ways that are, yeah, just self-sufficient. You're providing for yourself. You're doing things on your own. Eventually, we're supposed to get to interdependence. And this is where he kind of talks through the seven habits. So he's got the first three that kind of focus on internal winning. He calls, I think he has a different term for it, but something like that, right? Internal winning. And then you have uh, external winning or kind of winning as a team society. He calls it private victory and public victory. That's what it is. I just found it. And the first three habits are about private victories. And then the last three habits or the next three habits are about public victory. Then habit seven really affects all of them. And so the first habit that we're going to talk about and that I really, really love is, oh, and, and just, sorry, I know I sometimes can be all over the place. It's because I never have enough time to prepare. If you join us on Locals and became a supporter, perhaps I could do this full time someday and I'd be super sharp and refined when doing these podcast episodes for you. So you get to help me be less of a crackhead when making these episodes eventually. Um, but I read this right when I, like I said, I was become, I was a young infantry officer in the army and I wanted to be a great leader. And I wanted to be a great man. I had this desire for greatness. I didn't know what it looked like. So I started looking up like, what are some of the best self-help books of all time? And this was, of course, one of the first ones. It's one of the most sold ones. Let's see. Does it say here over 25 million copies sold? Wow. Right there on the cover. Uh, so really, really cool. 
Um, so then let's go on to the first habit, which is be proactive. Now, being proactive means a couple things. But he talks about this this point that comes really from uh, Viktor Frankl's, um, what's the book called? Man's Search for Meaning. And I also read this book right before going to ranger school when I was just a lad. And Man's Search for Meaning is amazing because it talks about, there's this one principle that comes from it where Viktor Frankl, who was in a concentration camp, was a psychologist that was arrested and uh, Jewish and sent to the concentration camp. I think he was in Auschwitz and another one. And he basically said that he saw, he was wondering like, who survives? You know, is it the strong people? Is it the fat people? Is it the thin people? Is it the mean people, the nice people? He was like, whatever. What's the, what's the theme of the people who survive? And he said, basically the main theme was people who accepted the fact that they had a choice. So he points out, and this is what Stephen Covey also kind of reiterates here, is that you have a choice and a moment in between a stimulus and a response. This is what separates us from the animals, is the fact that when something happens in our lives as humans, there is a moment in time where we get to actually pause and respond to the things that happen rather than just react to them. We don't have to just, like animals, like my dog hears something or something happens and she just reacts. We get to actually stop and respond. And Stephen Covey breaks down that in this freedom to choose, in that moment between stimulus and response, you have self-awareness, imagination, conscience, and independent will. And so you have all these kinds of things. Now, he talks again about um, being proactive versus being reactive. There's kind of two main themes throughout this um, and two things that I want to really hit on. One is being proactive, one is being reactive, and the other one is what he calls your circle of influence and your circle of concern. So those are kind of the two sub points we're going to talk about when it comes to uh, habit number one. So obviously the, the habit itself is be proactive. So we'll talk about that one first. Somebody who is proactive is somebody, and this is something I've been railing against a lot recently, is, is, is being proactive means you are the type of person who, who likes to, and it really ties in with the other one because it's all about focusing on what you can control. Being proactive, in order to be proactive, you have to be focused on what the things that you can control. He says, basically, uh, that being proactive is the ability to subordinate an impulse to a value is the essence of the proactive person. That's what he says. So he says the ability to subordinate an impulse to a value is the essence of a proactive person. Reactive people are driven by feelings, by circumstances, by conditions, by their environment. Proactive people are driven by values, carefully thought about, selected, and internalized values. Now, theoretically, we should all be proactive people, right? As Christians, as Catholics, we're supposed to be proactive. I mean, if you if you listen to that description, right, we're supposed to be living by virtues and values that we have determined, these principles that we have decided ahead of time. And reactive people... This is how worldly people should be. They should be driven by feelings, by circumstances, by conditions, by their environment. This means um, your attitude. Think about even your attitude, how you show up every day. You get to choose the ways that you approach life. You get to choose when something happens. And this could be something maybe your spouse does that annoys you. Maybe your boss does that annoys you. You know, there's that great quote from, um, what is her name? Uh... It's not Jackie Kennedy. It's, uh, is it, um, not Nancy Reagan? What's her name? The, 
one of the president's wives uh, from the 20th century. But she says, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent, right? And so you have this quote, and it's used oftentimes by a lot of black people when talking about dealing with racism. I just listened to Larry Elder talk about it um, recently. The quote came from Eleanor Roosevelt. That's who it was, Eleanor Roosevelt. All right, so Eleanor Roosevelt said, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So you have this ability, no matter what happens, whether somebody's calling you the N-word or just your spouse left the dish out or your boss said that thing that triggers you or is treating you unfairly or giving you too much work and disappointed when you don't get it done, you still get to respond to those things. You still get to choose how you respond to those things. And so your response is a choice. And you get the choice to respond with a positive attitude or a negative attitude. And you always have that choice. And this is something I'm honing in on this because you have to accept this as your reality if you're going to succeed in life, right? If you're ever going to experience happiness because you're always going to have people who treat you unfairly. You're always going to have bad and negative things that happen to you. And I know that I'm operating at my best when I realize this because the thing that we have to understand on the spiritual level as well is that the devil is seizing every opportunity when there's a negative stimulus that gets you to choose a negative response. And so when you start to understand that, that, okay, this thing happened, my, my negative thoughts, my evil thoughts, my desire for revenge or to be mad for the rest of the day towards my spouse or give them the silent treatment or to talk negatively behind my boss's back or whatever, those are forms of spiritual warfare. And so we as Catholics have to understand that and we have to start to treat those things for what they are, right? And start to understand that the devil wants you to choose that negative reaction, that negative response. The devil wants you to be reactive. The devil wants you to be driven by your feelings, your circumstances, your conditions, your environment. But holiness, if you think about, you know, St. Paul, for Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where he talks about being content in all situations. In 2 Corinthians 12, when God tells St. Paul as he's pleading with God to take the thorn from his side, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We recognize that, like St. Maximilian Kolbe, like Viktor Frankl, that even in Auschwitz, you can still be virtuous. Even in Auschwitz, St. Maximilian Kolbe proves that you can still be a saint, even in the worst of conditions, even in the worst even in the face of the worst human evil imaginable, you can still be a saint. And so so who are we with the same God on our side, with the same Eucharist, with the same sacraments, with the same access to the body of Christ, the head of the body himself, the same access to Mary that St. Maximilian Kolbe had in Auschwitz? Who are we to get so frustrated with our boss that it ruins our entire day and we start being mean to other people? It doesn't make any sense. So we have to understand that being proactive means I live my life by principles and I'm proactive in understanding what's within my realm of responsibility. And so um, obviously it, it includes taking initiative. And this is kind of the thing about seeing, seeing a need and filling a need. And so I've been railing against this very much recently of just talking about the fact that so many young people don't get involved. We're not getting involved in parish life. We're not getting involved in civic life. We're not getting involved in, uh, yeah, making a difference in the world. We can be so self-focused and just desiring to receive. And then I'm always amazed by how many people are in that spot and then complaining that they don't have a spouse. 
And it's like all you've shown God in your relationship with him is that you just want to take from him. So why would he give you his son or daughter when all you want to do is take? You're only worried about yourself. So how is God supposed to give you somebody else when all you worry about is you? Why would he give you somebody he loves to take care of and and to look after? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So we have to understand that. We have to be proactive. We have to be willing to take initiative. When you see something needs to be done, and this can happen in small heroic moments of you see an issue, and so you step up. You see somebody struggling uh, to load their car. Um, you see a mom who's struggling with her kids at mass, whatever it is. Having the audacity, because it does take a certain level of audacity. I know some people who are really good people, who are church-going people, raised in the church, who when they see somebody needs help, they're just so shy about it, they won't, they won't do it. They won't look out and say, oh, let me, you know, you see somebody at a, at a packed mass and they won't go up to that person and say, hey, you can come sit next to us. We have a seat open. They'll say, oh, maybe she's looking for somebody. Maybe she is. Maybe he or she is looking for somebody and you'll get rejected. Who cares? But have you ever been that lonely person that's looking for a seat at mass and something happened in your day and so you're showing up a little bit late and you're just trying to find a seat? Like going out of our way to be uncomfortable and, and, and share some risk with the rest of the world. That's what being proactive, it can be in little things like that, little heroic things, but it can also be in bigger things where you say, okay, my parish does not do a good job of reaching out to men. My parish does not do a good job fulfilling our duties to um, do the corporal works of mercy or the spiritual works of mercy. How can we actually start to do this? What can I do to actually help this? I think there's, there's this place that's lacking. I can't tell you how many times as the representative of the Catholic Church to many people in my life who are not Catholic, or a fallen away Catholics, they'll tell me, well, the church should do this, or the church should have this, or the church. And it's like, well, what are you doing? We can't complain about something we're not willing to help. Now, you can't help everything. So there's a certain point at which if you're helping with a lot of things, maybe you've earned the right to complain about some things or want to encourage other people to help get involved to take care of other issues and pointing out other issues can be a healthy thing. But if you're not doing anything other than your own personal spiritual life, you don't get to complain about anything. And so we need to foster this idea of being proactive. And I think we can do this very easily and very effectively and thoroughly as parents. To say, okay, you think we have an issue as a family or there's something you'd like to see done here? Why don't you start it? Why don't you lead it? We'll entrust it with you and I'll support you and I'll give you the things that you need. But this is going to be your responsibility. You take ownership here. Now, something that kind of flows out of this and, and we're getting into the, the point of what he calls the circle of influence and the circle of concern but I really like this part here. I wrote down, you know, 22 year old me wrote down that this is my least favorite thing in life. And it's up there because I came from a family where a lot of people use this language. And it was amazing to me as I started to read self-help books. And as I started to read scripture, and as you start to like kind of figure out life is you start to see if, if you're, I think somebody who's like somewhat self-aware. And I think one of my gifts that God has given me is the ability to reason well. And so I was very reflective as a kid, being an only child. I had a really long bus ride home from school. And I just always remember that and attribute a lot of my, I don't know if thoughtfulness is the right word, but kind of philosophical beginnings to being on the bus. And I would listen to music, usually, you know, bad rap music. I mean, it was good rap music for rap music, but it was not good for the formation of one's soul. A lot of Eminem, 50 Cent, T.I., Lil Wayne. And I would listen to these rappers and I would think about my life and I would think about people and I would think about the way that they lived their lives and the things that they had and the stuff that they said and the things they believed and I would evaluate them. 
And I would kind of have these internal debates. And it wasn't always deep, profound stuff like this, but I did do it more, I think, than the average, you know, 10, 12, 14, 15-year-old. But this was one of my least favorite things. And this subtitle here is called Listening to Our Language. And so listening to our language is about the fact that our language reveals oftentimes what he calls our paradigms, which in my opinion or my view is, in my understanding, just our outlook on life. The rules and the framework with through which, the lens through which we see life is our paradigms. And we describe those to other people. And a lot of times people don't see this, and, and you can sometimes think this is judgmental, but I just think people reveal a lot about themselves when they're speaking. And sometimes you misspeak, right? And so you got to give people some grace and understand that. And this doesn't have to be like a judgmental thing, but you can start to understand a lot about people by listening to the ways that they speak. And so we, he, he basically juxtaposes here reactive language and proactive language. So tell me if you've ever heard anybody say any of the following. That's me. That's just the way I am. He makes me so mad. I can't do that. I just don't have the time. If only my wife were more patient. I have to do it. Now he goes and breaks down each one of these. He says like, that's me. That's just the way I am. The person is saying, I am determined. There's nothing I can do about it. I heard this one a lot when I was growing up. And I'll tell you what, nothing pissed me off more than it because I just didn't believe it. I just, I had seen myself. I mean, when you're a kid, you're changing all the time. And so you know that people are capable of changing. The thing that is missing oftentimes is that desire piece, right? Our habits, if we don't have the desire to change our habits, we're not going to change our habits. If you lack knowledge, if you lack desire, what are you going to change? You have to have these things in order to actually change. And so a lot of people are lacking desire to change, and so they blame it on being fixed. And, you know, if there's a great book called Mindset as well, and that talks about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And so this is basically an example of the fixed mindset. The next one, he makes me so mad. The, Stephen Covey says, I'm not responsible. My emotional life is governed by something or someone outside of my control. Nobody can make you mad. You know? And I think using that type of language is really important. You can say, this really angers me, or... This really frustrates me when this happens or that type of behavior just really, um, I, I don't like it. These types of things are different ways to say the same thing, but you don't have to, nobody else can make you angry. Making someone angry, I think, is one of the most common ones we use that kind of gives our, our control, our power over ourselves to somebody else. And we're supposed to be self-governed, self-controlled. Self-control is a, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, or is it a gift? No, yeah, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we're called to this. And so we can't just be given over the reins to somebody else. The next one, I can't do that. I just don't have the time. Something outside of me, limited time is controlling me. We all have the time. We all have the time. I, the only reason I know this, and I've heard Eric Thomas, one of my favorite inspirational speakers, talk about this throughout his own life and his own journey of writing the book. The only reason I have not written a Seeking Excellence book yet is because I have bad boundaries in my life. I have terrible boundaries and I get asked to do a ton of stuff, which is also part of my frustration and my um, somewhat, you know, discouragement of late has been the fact that I'm mad at other people because I get asked to do so many freaking things and I just need to say no. And so my plan, I've already, I mean, I've been thinking about it, like dreaming about this for 2024. I obviously have committed to RCIA through Easter 
But in 2024, I'm not doing anything else. 2024 is going to be the year of seeking excellence. And we're going to finally, I'm going to fully invest myself into this and into this mission that I feel like God has given me and stop letting other good things oftentimes distract me from it. I'm not going to be playing pickup basketball in a league. I'll still play and I'll still work out and stuff, but I'm not going to have all these other commitments that fill my week Monday through Thursday every week. And then I have no extra time to give to writing and podcasting and things like that. But I have to recognize, I have to understand that I'm doing that. This control thing, like I have control. The time issue is me. I'm the problem. Because it, it doesn't matter that other people keep asking me. It doesn't matter that other people are not, in my opinion, pulling their weight in parish life and in the church in general. I still have to have the boundaries in my life and say, okay, I have to prioritize certain things. And I just have to make time for it. Right, And we have to face this in a lot of things. And you understand that your time is limited and you have to deal with disappointment from other people. And this is another great one we'll get to eventually, but you feel this tension. This is, this is in the book and one of my favorite tools in the book of things that are really important, but don't have necessarily deadlines, don't necessarily have deadlines or things that are important to you that aren't as important to the other people around you. And so you're going to have competing priorities with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with everybody in your life. It's just a natural thing that's going to happen in life. Um, if only my wife were more patient, he says, someone else's behavior is limiting my effectiveness. And then he says, I have to do it. This is a big one for me, saying I have to do things. And I catch myself. Obviously, I say it often. And I, I appreciate when people call me out for it because I don't have to do things. I can do whatever I want because I'm free to do that. And I don't have to podcast today. I don't have to um, walk my dog. I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to get up for work. I get to do those things or I choose to do those things. Sometimes I need to do those things. And that can be a shorter sentence. You know, I need to podcast today or else I'm not going to have an episode for Monday. I need to get up for work today or else I'm going to be docked points or fired or whatever might happen, right? I'm going to be written up. So he says to look at uh, proactive language. And so instead of saying things like, um, that's just the way I am, say, I can choose a different approach. Instead of they won't allow that, say, I can create an effective presentation. I don't know. I don't know what that one meant. Um, instead of I can't say I choose, instead of I must say I prefer, instead of only say I will. Instead of saying there's nothing I can do, saying let's look at our, our alternatives. And so this is the important stuff. This is important stuff. And so next, going into this circle of influence, the circle of concern. Now, I really like this because he talks about, I don't necessarily like this. Uh, I kind of more like like the circle of control versus the circle of, I think the circle of influence kind of makes sense because those things so influence you, but you can't control them. Nevertheless, he uses the circle of influence in the circle of concern. So he basically has you know the circle of influence within the circle of concern. And he explains that the circle of concern are things that you're concerned about, things that affect your life, but they're not your circle of influence because you actually have no control over these things. And he breaks down the difference of what he calls direct control, problems involving our own behavior, indirect control, problems involving other people's behavior, or no control, problems we can do nothing about, such as our past or situational realities. And so I think it's really important if you if you were to write a list, I'm, I'd be curious about this for all of us. This could be a good exercise for you to do today. 
is write a list of what are the 10 things that stress you out the most? What are the 10 things that take up most of your time? The, the list probably overlaps a little bit. So what are the 10 things that stress you out the most and the 10 things that take up most of your time? If you think about those things, which ones fall into which category? You can just draw you know, a line down the middle of a piece of paper, write your circle of influence and your circle of concern. In your control, out of your control. Which of those things is in your control of the things that stress you out the most and which are out of your control? Because what he advocates for, and I think this is super, super obvious if you've been around for a little while, is that things like what the federal government is doing, what Joe Biden is choosing to do, these things that are totally out of your control, that if those are the things you spend the majority of your time focusing on, stressing about, worrying about, talking about, learn, reading about, listening to things on it, then you're not going to have a lot of success in your life. And you're going to be extremely stressed out. Because we should give, if you can think about assigning percentages of your, your attention or your capacity to different topics and different realms of life and things that are going on in the world, you would be a lot happier person if you assign the majority of your attention and capacity and um, bandwidth to things that actually you have actual influence over, things that you actually control in your life. And so think about this. We spend so much time thinking about the way other people act, how we can control them why other people are doing certain things. But if we just focus each and every day, man, I'm talking to myself here for sure. If I woke up every day and realized I get to control what time I wake up in the morning, how am I controlling that? I'd give myself like a four out of 10 right now because I'm snoozing like a mother lover. And it's bad too, because I have my wife in the room. So I'm waking her up every time my damn alarm clock goes off, even though I keep snoozing it. So I'm snoozing like crazy. Then I get up late. Instead of getting up at 6, I get up at 6.30, maybe 6.45. When I get up then, instead of at 6 o'clock, I do not have time to walk my dog, pray, and read, and eat breakfast before I leave for work to be at the office at 8 o'clock. When I do make time to walk the dog, pray, read, eat breakfast before leaving at around 7.45 or 8, I feel a lot better for the day. If I have a bad day, if I'm not feeling good midday, Part of it's probably because I didn't do those four things to start the day. And so I know that that's within my control. It's not my boss. I can blame other people and other things that are happening. People aren't buying, sales are down, whatever it is, to say that's why I'm having a bad day. Or it could just be I didn't control what I need to control. And so think about that in your own life. How are you? Go through your day. Okay, then I have my stand-up meeting. Okay, when we have our first stand-up meeting in the morning, I do like to do it in the office rather than on the phone driving to the office. Because I like to just have the drive to kind of focus and get ready for the day. And usually, as you can imagine, when I get up late, all of these things aren't happening, right? Maybe I do two of the four, and then I'm also listening, you know, on the phone as I'm driving to the office. And so now, you know, I'm batting two for five, maybe sometimes over five as I get into the office for the day. If I get into the office and it's messy and I didn't clean up the day before when I left. I feel worse. I don't like that. If I am wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt, I also don't like that. I also don't feel good about, you know, life. And I'm not just like as energetic and motivated. So then I get in, I start doing that. If I did not crush work the day before and I have a ton of emails left over and it's not Monday, you know, it's Thursday and I just am super behind. I don't feel good. And so all of these things, you have these things in your own life that you can control 
And we always want to blame other things, right? This is my problem with a lot of the mental health profession. A lot of this focus on um, depression and anxiety is so much of it just says, oh, you just have a chemical imbalance. You just have this issue. You're just sad. And the, and I think Jordan Peterson points this out really, really well when he talks about the fact that uh, counselors and therapists are supposed to do the opposite. They're supposed to find out the ways that you are kind of effing up and point those out to you and help you get back on track and get your life together. The goal is not to just give you drugs and listen to you complain and reaffirm everything you say. That's not the point of therapy. That's not the point of counseling. And there are many good counselors and therapists out there who do not do that. But I think as you see this rise in transgenderism, they're supposed to poke holes and try to find causes and reasons for these things that they can work out for you that do not involve surgery and drugs and all these types of things. But the mental health profession is just off its rocker by and large and doesn't do that and just immediately starts pumping people full of drugs that they don't actually need. But if you're not controlling the things that you can control, then you're going to experience this. And so you have to look at what you're responsible for, accept that you're responsible for it, and then decide how you're going to handle it. I love this breakdown he has here. He says responsible basically means response-able. So being responsible thing means I'm response-able, means I can respond to this thing, and I can make a decision, and I can decide what I'm going to do with it. And so if you're response-able for something, that means it's within your circle of influence, and you are in charge of deciding what happens. All right, I want to read this for you as he closes the chapter here. He says, be, or no, I got to go further back. Sorry. He says, I would challenge you to test this principle of proactivity for 30 days. Simply try it and see what happens. For 30 days, work only in your circle of influence. Make small commitments and keep them. Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Try it in your marriage, in your family, in your job. Don't argue for other people's weaknesses. Don't argue for your own. When you make a mistake, admit it, correct it, and learn from it immediately. Don't get into a blaming and accusing mode. Work on things you have control over. Work on you. Look at the weaknesses of others with compassion, not accusation. It's not what they're not doing or should be doing that's the issue. The issue is your own chosen response to the situation and what you should be doing. If you start to think the problem is out there, Stop yourself. That thought is the problem. So let's do this. Let's take a 30-day exam of ourselves and a 30-day challenge and say for the next 30 days, I'm just going to control what I can control and um, focus on the things that are within my realm of control. You know, I just listed 30 things for myself that happened before noon that I can control that I can focus on. And I get to make decisions and I get to choose how I respond to those things. And as we all start to do that, we're going to be in a much better place. We're going to be much happier. We're going to be much more fulfilled. And life is going to be much better for us. All right, my friends. So I am obviously not going to get through <laughs> all seven of these in one podcast episode. So that was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that kind of breakdown because I had a great time going through it. And this is why I wanted to talk about these things for so long and truly was one of the original methods of my uh, ministry, if you will. If you can call this a ministry, if you call this a ministry, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. Bada bing, bada boom. But I used to think that it was, is reading these books, taking this wisdom I learned from life, 
of my experiences growing up, from my life in the military, from sports, and applying them to spiritual life, to applying them to our pursuit of sainthood. This is what I enjoy doing. And so we're going to be going through these seven habits. I'm going to be breaking them down, um, and it's going to be awesome. But I want to encourage you, if you enjoyed this today, I'm going to be doing one of my favorite books of all time in our book club. And if you join as a Seeking Excellence supporter, you will have access to that book study. And that is exclusively where that's going to be. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm really leaning towards doing a a Zoom call. I think it might be like uh, Saturday mornings or I'll pick some evening that I'm going to do. And we're going to have a Zoom call. And I'm going to um, use that time to go through the book. And we will, uh, yeah, take it apart chapter by chapter. And it's a book with a lot of shorter chapters. And it's super applicable. And I'm truly, I truly believe that this is going to change our lives. And we're going to take some old wisdom from this book written by a great man. And we're going to be applying it to our everyday lives. And we're going to be talking about it as a group for those who can join on the Zoom call. Um, might just do it like, uh, yeah, Tuesday or Wednesday evenings or something. I got to figure out my best time for that to be each week. But that's going to be exclusively where that's going to live and what what's going to happen for that. So um, if you join for $10 for monthly, as a monthly supporter, I will send you a free copy of the book and you will get access to join us in that group. And it's going to be a great time. And we're going to be going through things like this. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd encourage you reach, I'd, I'd appreciate you reaching out to me, just letting me know that and letting me know whatever it unlocked for you. Uh, I'd love to be some accountability for you. Uh, if you want to reach out to me and tell me what it is that you're going to focus on for the next 30 days of how you can control things better, how you can focus on the things that are within your circle of influence. Um, and how being proactive is going to be, become a priority in your life, how you're going to be responsive or uh, you're going to be proactive and um, response able to all the things that happen to you in your life. So if you could, um, I'd love also for you to share this episode. If you can give us a five-star review, that would be huge. You can see that I've gotten, I get more and more one stars as I um, speak the truth and say things that other people don't want to say and other people don't want to hear. Um, so I'd appreciate if you take two seconds, to leave me a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get this, you can share this on social media. You can share it to a friend that you might, that you think might benefit from it. And that could be your accountability partner as well for the next 30 days. That would be awesome. God bless you. Continue to fight hard to be your best. And remember that we, uh, are called to, uh, true holiness, to live lives of excellence, to apply faith and reason to all that we do and to live life based on principles and values and not to be guided and dictated by our emotions. God bless you.